Okay, well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good to see everybody. Um, I don't know what this is all about, but I felt like the Lord uh, was speaking to me a word during worship, so I just want to share that with you. And this word is for um, young couples, uh, for those of you, you know, young folks like myself in your uh, 20s and early 30s. Um, I just felt like the Lord wanted to say to you that He has a path for you. He has an ancient path for you to follow. There is a way. There's a way for marriage. There's a way for raising kids. There's a way for your career. There's a way for doing it all that the Lord has laid out for you. There's a path. And so much in the world would tell us that it's just all up to you and however you find best and whatever you want to do. And I just felt like the Lord wanted to encourage you this morning that it's, it's not about you. It's about you and God's kingdom. So um, if I could just embarrass you, if you're a young couple, could you just stand up? And uh, if you're near them, let's just, if you would just pray, just reach out your hand to them or lay your hands on them. <laughs> Byron, stand up. <laughs> so, uh, Lord, we just proclaim your kingdom into the lives of these families here, Lord. God, those who are married, those who are engaged, Lord, we just proclaim that you have an ancient path for them to follow, for them to travel. And we just speak it into existence. And we pray that you would do your work in their hearts, Lord. That they might follow you, that they might seek you, that they might love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated. Thanks for standing up and letting us pray for you. So, uh, well, everybody uh, getting ready for the big Panthers game? Everybody got a party to go to? and Brianna is. <laughs> we know how they feel over here. They're pretty passionate about that. Um, it's funny what people are passionate about, you know. Uh, uh, I was talking to, with Byron and Becky this week. We were just having a conversation about um, the things that people are passionate about and the way that the world uh, values passion. You know, it's, and, and I just want to encourage us that, you know, passion is not just for a football game, but it's for church on Sunday. It's for Lee Park on Saturday. It's for, you know, ministering to people. That's where true passion can be released. And, you know, uh, you got that picture of that fan? Yeah, look, to, look at this guy. I mean, do you think he's passionate about the Panthers? I mean, it's unbelievable that inevitably in Green Bay, Wisconsin, when they're playing, you know, you know, they're not in the playoffs, of course, but, you know, inevitably some guy is out there with his shirt off. Okay, it's zero degrees, you know, painted green with cheese on his head, just screaming his head off, going ballistic, and everybody looks at him and be like, that's cool, man, yeah. I can get into that. That's cool. I can value that. That's, that's really neat. And pretty much you can be passionate about anything. You know, I mean, think about your passions, what you spend your money on, what you spend your time doing. I mean, some old guy can get a 1985 Honda Accord that he paid $150 for and just spend $25,000 pimping this ride out. You know, just passionate about this car. And uh, yeah, man, that's cool. Yeah. I can value that, you know. Um, I mean, it's, just, it's just amazing. But if you happen to be passionate about Jesus, the world despises you. Isn't that something? And you know, and you walk in here and you scream, if you, if you happen to get loud in church, 
and believe that the price that Jesus paid for us is, is worth getting excited about, then people might start being like, man, what kind of cult is this? You know, I mean, why, why would you do that? Why would, you know, all these things. And uh, I just want to encourage you to not uh, limit yourself in your passion for the Lord. Get excited about God. It's okay. You know, we'll let you do that here. You can, you can jump if you want to. You can yell a little bit. And uh, again, let me also encourage you that when you come in here on Sunday morning, don't worry about what the person next to you thinks about you, okay? Because, I mean, I, I can do my little white boy gig up here, you know, and the thing is, is it's not, I'm not doing that to impress you, thank goodness, you know. <laughs> but I'm doing that because, man, there's nothing like the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when He gets you moving, you just got to move. You know, you got to move, you got to praise, you got to shout, you got to glorify, you got to test, you got you to give Him what He's worthy of. The Bible says that He's worthy of all of our praise. You know, so I just wanted to encourage you in that, uh, to be passionate about God. And uh, my message this morning is entitled, You're Invited to a Wedding Feast, Please RSVP. Okay, and uh, have you ever received an invitation that, to a wedding or to a party or something that's got RSVP on the bottom, right? Everybody's got one of those before. Well, what does RSVP stand for? Well, uh, yeah, I believe it stands for respond, s'il vous plaît, you know, if my French serves me correctly. That's what RSVP stands for, in case you didn't know that. It's French. So the person is wanting you to come join in this party and, you know, be excited with them about this marriage or a birthday or whatever. And so what, what's your job? Your job is to make a choice, right? You have a choice whether you're going to go or whether you're not, and they want you to let them know so they know how to plan. Okay, well, here's the thing. God's kingdom works the same way. He's invited you into His kingdom, and He's asking you to RSVP. Let Him know whether you want to be a part of it or not. It's just as simple as that. And uh, before we kind of get into that and a place where Jesus talks about that issue, I want to look at some of the things that the Lord has been saying to us recently. Okay, and this kind of fits in and ties into that. All right, first of all, on January 1st, first day of the year, uh, Byron um, spoke a message entitled, Three Things God Will Do in the Year 2006. How many people can recall that, at least faintly? All right. Three weeks later, you expect me to remember a mess? <laughs> Three things God will do in 2006. Number one was God wants to deliver and heal people. He wants to restore things to you that were lost or stolen. You know, and I believe he quoted, as he has many times recently, Luke 4:18 and 19, which is kind of Jesus' mission statement that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release um, to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, etc., etc. You with me on that? You remember what I'm talking about. The second thing was God will give us what we've been praying and longing for. And third, God will further establish us in grace and clarify our purpose. Okay, so we heard that word on the first day of the year. This past week, I got a... Uh, an email forwarded to me by my mom, actually. And this was a message from a guy named Dutch Sheets. Maybe you've heard of him. And the Lord speaks to Dutch and gives him words, so he just writes them down. And uh, when I read this, it kind of, I was like, whoa, because it sounds pretty familiar. 
And so I just wanted to share just a few of the points that he makes here. And if you want to check out the whole word that Dutch got from the Lord, you, I think his uh, website is dutchsheets.org or something like that. So it's all on there. But he, he says, This will be a year of the greatest change the church has experienced in our generation. It's a pretty bold statement. Greatest change in our generation. While preparing to minister in Dallas on January 5th, I heard the Holy Spirit very clearly say, Tell them... Dot, dot, dot. I quickly grabbed a pen and wrote the following as it was given to me. Okay, and so he goes through a few things. And then I'll skip down to point number three. The Holy Spirit said, I must bring further changing of paradigms, not just to those who have not been moving in my spirit, but even to those who are in my spirit. I heard him say, restructure, restructure, restructure. Ministries will restructure. Churches will restructure. Businesses will restructure. Individuals will restructure. The way they do things, their time, the way they think. Remember Byron's message is about repentance and changing the way that we think to see from God's perspective. The way they operate. Families will restructure. Okay, so maybe you're beginning to see some of these things already in your life. Anybody seen any restructuring going on? Okay, I see a lot of hands. So these are some of the things that God wants to do in 2006. Now listen to this. He also says here, teaching on the kingdom of God will bring about great changes of paradigms, taking us back to the original mandate of Genesis. You will hear it taught over and over again this year. Kingdom theology is going to be at the forefront. And if you haven't been around here, the Lord's been talking to us about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, over and over again. So when I read this, I was like, wow, okay, the Lord's confirming this. This is something that God is really doing. And uh, I just was so blessed that we have a pastor that takes the time to hear God and hear what he's saying and tries to communicate that the best that he knows how (laughs) to us. And uh, I just wanted to acknowledge and thank him for that publicly and say that Byron is here in God, and here's a confirmation of that. Now, this is a man, and he wrote down what he heard the Holy Spirit saying. It's a prophetic word, so you can judge that and pray through it. It's in the way to Scripture here. But I'm just submitting that to, to, your, uh, to you that this is something that God is doing. Okay, um, And also, number four, he says, I'm waiting for those who will fulfill my mission statement. Luke 4, 18 and 19. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay. That's just what Byron said. Luke 4, 18 and 19. You know that whole thing. Setting free the downtrodden. I heard him say, if those in my church that will begin to make this their mission statement, I will give them the fulfillment of every one of them. Every one of them. How many people want to see people healed? Set free. Liberty to the captives. You know, all of those things set free the downtrodden to be able to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Let it be so, Lord. Let your kingdom come in this situation. And it comes. He went on to say there's a radical anointing of deliverance that is about to come to the church. It will actually be violent at times and people will radically be delivered in a moment. So be looking for that. Let it come, Lord. Um... He also said that I'm looking this year for those who will be more heavenly minded than earthly minded. He's looking for those who will set their affection on things above 
and who will set their affections on His kingdom and what He wants. For those who will do, do this, he, give them, he will give them insights from heaven. This will allow them to bring heaven to earth, no longer simply praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He will give them authority and understanding on how to bring heaven to earth. Amen. I want that, Lord. Also, for those who do this, He will cause them to see things from a heavenly perspective. Heard that before. Problems, challenges, vision, difficulties in their families. Maybe that's why the Lord had me pray for you guys. Financial needs. All of these will begin to be seen from His perspective. That's what we all need. And one more I wanted to mention. Number seven. I am looking for those who will believe in my power. Miracles are there for the taking. (laughs) Chuck Pierce prophesied that we will see a move of God this year in which signs and wonders will break out on university campuses. The power of God is about to invade the universities of America. Praise God. Break down some of that wisdom of men. Yeah, that'd be a good place, wouldn't it? So God wants us to be involved in this. RSVP. Do you want to or not? It's just as simple as that. goes back to Genesis. He gave Adam a choice. Do you want to walk in all this that I've made for you and created you to be or not? Okay, and so it's a similar choice that we have today. And um, Jesus talks about some of these things in a parable, a story that he told. And this is found in Matthew chapter 22. So if you have your Bible and you can turn it open to that. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. Let's read that through together first. And then what I want to do is go through this passage verse by verse and see what the Lord might be saying to us. Okay? Everybody good with that? Alright. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Remember that. Guy wasn't wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, 
but few are chosen. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, what could that mean? Well, first of all, Jesus had just finished telling the church folk of his day several stories kind of blasting them for their unbelief in him and in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. And so the church folk were a little upset at him. They were a little mad at him, and he had kind of made some enemies in the church. And uh, so this was another story. First of all, the interpretation would be that the nation of Israel as a whole, the Jews, had rejected the Messiah. They had rejected the prophets that God had sent to them. And then they, you know, they had rejected Jesus. And so therefore, the whole nation as a whole was going to miss out on this fellowship that God had intended for them. And so He was going to open the deal up to the Gentiles to be a part of this fellowship as well. Okay? So that's kind of a, one of the interpretations, but there's also another way of looking at this, another interpretation that I'd like to submit to you this morning. So let's take a look at verse 2 and 3 first of all, and just go through it step by step. Verse 2, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. First of all, the king invites us to come. Come where? Come do what? What's this all about? It's just very simple. Come again, be a part of his kingdom. Which means, receive him. Okay, step in to his reality. We so easily remember that this reality is really not reality at all. This reality is the least significant of the reality that we have in Christ. There's an unseen reality that you can step into that will make this reality seem a lot different. Does that make sense? If you're not a Christian here this morning... And you want to be a part of the kingdom of God. You want to RSVP and say, God, I'll come. The first step is to simply say, Lord, I want to come to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to turn away and see things from your perspective. See how destructive my sin has been in my life. And give my life to you. And let you take over. That's the first way to enter the kingdom. But also... For those of us who have been Christians and who are Christians, have been Christians for a while, there's new levels of the kingdom that God wants to reveal to us. Because sometimes we get trapped in this earthly way of thinking or seeing things that limits us from being able to walk into the potential in the kingdom that God has given us. For example, uh, there was a man at our men's meeting last night who came to uh, just give encouraging words call it uh, prophesying over each of us there. And he was talking about what he learned about prophetic ministry. And one of the things that he said was that he has tried to like be aware that when he goes into a restaurant and stuff, he asks the Lord to give him a word or something, some encouragement for the waitress or just whoever he comes in contact with. And one of the things he was saying was that when you step out there and you try to give somebody a word, or let's say you, you pray for him to be healed, and they don't get healed. Or they look at you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, have you ever had that happen? 
the next time that God tells you to give somebody a word, what immediately comes to your mind? The last time that you gave the word and it failed, you know, according to you it failed, you never know, or the last time you prayed for the guy in the wheelchair and he didn't get up and walk, you know, so therefore that experience is a, can be a great limitation into stepping into something that God may still have for you. Because as we've learned in Christ School of Ministry and through the Randy Clark training and healing, for those of you who have studied that, is God's the one who heals. It's not up to us to heal somebody. It's just up to us to pray for somebody. There could be any number of reasons why someone's not getting healed, but it's up to God to do those things and to work those things out through us. So that's just an example of how... As Christians, we can step into um, kingdom perspective that maybe we've never had before. And there's many other examples that we could give there as well. Um, In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus was talking to what in the Bible, in the subtitles, calls the lukewarm church. You guys remember that? The lukewarm church, um, which is, I mean, you know, maybe like the church in America as a whole, you know, Uh, the powerless church that's neither hot nor cold. And he says that... uh, You got that? Okay. He says, uh, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So Jesus was trying to encourage these guys that, Listen, you know, you've grown lukewarm. But if you will respond to the RSVP, then I will come in. I will do things. I will bring you into aspects of the kingdom that you haven't known before. So, just be encouraged by uh, choosing to accept what God brings before you. That's just as simple as that. In verse 4 of that parable, it says, Then He sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. The Lord's just saying, everything's ready for us. Everything's ready for you. The fattened calf, the cattle, the oxen, just speaks of the Lord's bounty, the Lord's blessing, the Lord's favor that He has for us as we step into those things. And that's one other thing that uh, Luis, I think, mentioned a little bit last week and Byron the week before is stepping into the kingdom and the things of the earth that we need, the provisions that we need being there as we step into those places that God has for us to walk. Verse 5 and 6, it says, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants mistreated them and killed them. So, these guys get an invitation, but it says here, but, but they paid no attention to it, and they went off, one to its field, one to work. You know, they went off about the cares of the world. So one of the things when you receive, when we receive the, R, the invitation with an RSVP, we might decline the invitation, and people decline the invitation because of the cares of the world. You remember the parable of the sower, where it says, you know, the seed was sown, but, you know, the cares of the world just stole that seed. You know, it was snatched away somehow. I don't remember if it was 
burned up by the sun or what it was in that particular in, in situation. But the cares of the world can so easily skew our view of heaven's perspective on circumstances. So ask the Lord about that. A second person, he said all the rest of them that weren't caught up by the cares of the world actually took the servants and killed them. Okay, or you could say it like you get the invitation. God, God says, Dean, I want you to be a part of the kingdom. And Dean said, eh, you tear it up. Okay, you violently destroy this invitation. Yeah, violently resist this invitation. And that, that could be those who are so influenced by the spirit of religion that they, they cannot... Um, step into the things that God has for them in the kingdom. That there's an unbelief in their minds, in their hearts, that this can't be God. Those that would walk into church and say, oh, that, you know, people are getting healed, that's of the devil, because that's not for today. You know? Or, you know, God has things for us in His kingdom that if... You know, it's possible for a person, or even for ourselves, if we would be perfectly honest, to not receive those things because of just, well, that's not the way we used to do it. You know? So just watch that in your own heart as well. In verse 7, it says, The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. This is where it gets a little bit difficult. Those that reject the king's offer may lose favor with the king. Actually, not may lose favor, will lose favor with the king. He gives us a choice, but if we choose not to accept, there will be some consequences as a result of that. And I want to go back to this word from Dutch Sheets. Um, He says that... This year is a a year of favor and disfavor. Uh, This is a year that he will no longer allow people to ride the fence. Remember the church in Revelation that was lukewarm? He doesn't want us to do that. He will draw a line in the sand and make them decide who they are and what they stand for. The political games in the church will be judged. For those who refuse to flow with current revelation and resist it, you will see them come into disfavor. Some ministries and churches will lose their favor this year. Others will be raised up and given more influence. It is a year of dismantling that which is built that is not bringing Him glory and a year of great building for others. The landscape of the church will change this year. So as a church, we have to be aware if, if this bears witness in your spirit that the Lord is saying this, Pray through this and and take it seriously. Uh, Another church in Revelation, this is in Revelation 2, verse 1, Jesus actually says to them, Drew. (laughs) Revelation 2, verse 1. There we go. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Go to the last verse. There you go. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. Remember, change your mind. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And uh, that part about remove your lampstand, there's a footnote in my Bible that, that defines that and says, a congregation may continue to exist without being light in the darkness. That should give us a little bit of fear in the, uh, of the Lord in our church. We cannot be prideful enough to say, well, we've got it all so together that that could never happen to us. Well, Jesus is saying here that if you forsake your first love, if you lose your passion as a church for Him and for the lost, that He can remove that light. And I don't want to point fingers. So that's the last thing I want to do at any church in America. But certainly the argument could be made that many churches in America have lost the light that was intended for them to have in this dark world that's getting much darker. And there's been many prophecies given that over the next two years will be even darker than the year that we just went through in 2005. So as the dark gets darker, the light will grow lighter. Okay, so that's the opportunity that we have at the same time. Verse 8. Moving right along here. How am I doing on time? All right. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Many will RSVP the invitation and come that do not deserve to come. That's what he says here. Many say, yeah, I got the invitation, Lord. Yeah, I want to come. But they don't deserve to come. Why don't they deserve to come? Well, they might not deserve to come because we don't think they're righteous enough. Because they haven't been, you know, on their face for ten years, fasting and praying for the Lord to visit them. Uh, another word that Sue Crowley passed on this week by a man named Bill Yount of uh, Blowing the Shofar Ministries said that um, 2006 is a year of the not fair anointing. And he was quoting a, another story that Jesus told in Matthew 20 about the landowner, the vineyard owner, that hired workers to come work in his vineyard. If you're familiar with that story, he hired a, a few that came and worked that came in the morning time and worked all day long, and some more that came about midday and worked half the day, and then he hired still some more that came for about the last hour or something like that, the last little bit of the day. And when the guys came to him at the end of the day, and said, "All right, boss, we're here for our wages," he said, "Okay, for you, that'll be ten bucks. For you, that'll be ten bucks." And for you, that'll be ten bucks. And the guys that were there all day were like, well, wait a second. 
You know, we've been here all day long sweating and laboring. You're going to give us the same amount of pay that you gave the guy who was here for an hour? And Jesus said, or the landowner said, yeah, that's the way it works in the kingdom. And so he was using that parable, that story to illustrate that some will say it's not fair because I didn't demand hours of prayer or many days of fasting from these recent converts. But these ones will reap where others have sown. Remember, many of us are blessed every day and we don't deserve it. I even bless those who curse me every day. I will pour out a not fair anointing upon many who seem least deserving in 2006. Healings will flow. Miracles will abound. In my eyes, it is right. And even that, um, he says, don't stumble when I even use murderers and prostitutes mightily this year. What murder? He says, I'm looking for some Rahabs who will have greater faith in me than many of my own people, causing their whole households to be saved. I'm looking and seeking out people with questionable characters. <laughs> questionable characters. Remember that almost half of my word was written by murderers. Moses, murderer. David, murderer. Paul, mass murderer. Give me some no-goods and people full of tarnation. I want these people. They are real. They can even admit their mistakes. Mistakes are potential miracles. The ones who are not even looking for me will qualify for my not fair anointing. For I am looking for them. It is time. I say it is right. So, you made mistakes in here this morning? You qualify. <laughs> you qualify. You made mistakes because mistakes are an opportunity for miracles. You know, if you've been on drugs today, you qualify. The Lord wants to do tremendous things for you this year. If you've been in prison, you qualify. The Lord can do awesome things through ex-cons. You know, that's the way that the Lord can operate. So look for that not fair anointing. And for those of us who are saying, that's not fair, Lord. Just watch out <laughs> your heart attitude because the Lord might just invite people that aren't worthy to come to be a part of this party. And verse 11 says, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when I read this, I was like, what in the world does that mean? Wedding clothes? Why? I mean, the guy was invited. You invited the guy, Lord. And he came. And then you kicked him out because he wasn't dressed right? That doesn't say, you know, I mean, does that mean we can't wear whatever we want to to church? That, that can't be the interpretation here. And so I was really struggling with that. And uh, I felt like the Lord was saying this. All right. First of all, the point I just made was that many will RSVP the invitation and come that do not deserve to come, while others will respond and come, but will come with the wrong clothes on, being pride instead of humility. That's the wrong clothes. I want to look at a couple of verses here. Drew, I hope these are on the computer. Revelation 19 Verse 7. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, stop right there. The righteous acts of the saints. Those are the wedding clothes. You see, we are the bride of Christ, right? These are the, are the fine linens that He has for us. It's the righteous acts of the saints. Alright, the next verse. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, there, These are the true sayings of God. Okay, so we're blessed because we're invited. Now, as far as these wedding clothes go, let's go then to Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Colossians 3. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, according to the image of Him who created Him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, so that verse is talking about everybody's invited, just like this parable was talking about. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. Everybody say, put on. Put on. Say, be dressed in. Be dressed. Okay, that's what this is talking about. So what are the wedding clothes? Okay, it's getting ready to tell us. The wedding clothes are tender mercies, kindness, Humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do, so on and so forth. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So it's not enough just to respond to the RSVP and say, yeah, I'll come. The other part of that is you must come dressed appropriately. And that appropriate clothing is being clothed with humility. It's not okay for us to come in here and say, Oh man, can you, you see what they're doing? And, you know, da da da, did you hear about so and so? And, you know, all those things that is so easy to fall into in day to day lives or in the church world or whatever, that clearly the Bible says this is not a part of the clothing of the kingdom. You can do those things, but not in the kingdom. You can't do those things. Humility is the key. Another verse that really speaks to this is 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Everybody say clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The principle of the kingdom of God all begins with humility. No one can enter the kingdom without humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for they shall see God. That's what Jesus said in the first beatitude in His Sermon on the Mount. The poor in spirit speaks of those with humility. If we will humble ourselves as a little child, we can see the kingdom. Over and over again, this principle is emphasized to us in the Scripture. Now, real quickly, uh, in this Bible, the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, some of you might have this, there's a teaching in the back on the uh, kingdom. And there's a great paragraph in here that I just wanted to read to you briefly. It says, What is the greatest virtue in the kingdom? If pride is the greatest sin, and it is, then humility must be the greatest virtue. It is humility that allows me to acknowledge that God has a claim on my life, that I am a fallible, mortal creature, and that God is the master of the universe. It is humility that says, I am a sinner and I need to be saved. Humility is the beginning of wisdom. The truths of the kingdom are only perceived by those who are humble. No one who is proud will ever gain anything from God because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those who are humble receive the grace of God and are given the secrets of the kingdom because they come as beggars. Jesus Christ said, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, the Lord first started speaking to me about this a few weeks ago, and I don't know what led to, to this, but the Lord just began to speak to me about how important it was for me personally to just have humility in my life. That when it comes to, you know, being a father and being a husband, that the greatest virtue that I could possess would be humility. Because probably one of the biggest obstacles in any marriage is rooted in pride. Just wanting to have your way. Can anybody, nobody can relate with that, I'm sure. It's, it's just me. <laughs> Byron said Becky can relate with that. <laughs> Even when you're not, he's not preaching, you still get picked on, Becky. <laughs> but, you know, and um, I was just like... When, when you come face to face with your pride, it's a difficult thing because you're like, ooh, I'm just so, I'm not humble. I'm not, I don't have it, Lord. Please, Lord, give me the grace to humble myself in every situation and in every circumstance. And as my wife will attest, I'm not there yet. But, uh, <laughs> so, thank you, Lord. Um, Matthew 7.21 I'm wrapping up here. Famous last words. Matthew 7.21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, we could be a good organization here. We could send people to care for those in Mississippi and in New Orleans. We could um, take up money every week to give to the poor. We could um, have, you know, we could do all of these things. You make the list. And God could even say, good job, well done, 
But at the same time, just like the church in Revelation, he could say, but you're missing one thing. You've fallen from your first love. You've lost perspective on the kingdom. Because what does 1 Corinthians say? Verse, uh, chapter 13 about love, you know, the love chapter in the Bible. It says that you could do all these things. You could prophesy over everybody that moves. You could heal everybody you see that's sick. You could do all of these things. But if it's not motivated out of the love and compassion of Christ in the kingdom of God, then it's all just what? Bang, bang, just a clanging cymbal, I think, is a, a loud noise, however you want to think of it. It's just all for naught. Humility is the key. Finally, verse 14 says, For many are called, but few are chosen. The king invites us all to come, but very few will RSVP and not only RSVP and say, yeah, I'm in, but also come with wedding clothes on, with the clothes of, humi- the clothes of humility. Now, I want you to remember something. Remember, Jesus was talking to the church folks here. Okay? He wasn't talking to, you know, the tax collectors. <laughs> he wasn't talking to the prostitutes or the drug addicts. He was talking to the righteous folks of the day. Okay, and so I feel like the Lord is just challenging us as people, as families, as a church, that if you really want to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, if you really want to enter in to my kingdom plans and purposes, yeah, do all these things. Do all the things that I show you to do. That's key. And that I've set for you to do, like Lee Park and like you know, Bible studies and going and ministering to people and praying for deliverance and do all of these things. But number one, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. So I just want to offer this to you this morning as a challenge that if you are a passionless Christian, you know, at the beginning of the message I mentioned all the things that people are passionate about. And uh, if you want to see a passionate Panthers fan, just show up at Dean Stein's house. About 6.30. He's one of the most passionate Panthers fans. Um, You know, all these things that people could be passionate about. But if you... Henry Blackaby says in his study, Experiencing God, that if you are a, a passionless Christian, you are in trouble at the very core of your relationship with God. So, let's pray. Father, we just humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord. And uh, in every, in all of us, Lord, there's a certain measure of pride, Lord. And uh, we just confess that to you, Lord. And Lord, we, we want to change our mind about that pride. <laughs> Lord, we want to repent of that pride. We want to say, Lord, that we haven't necessarily seen that the way that you see it. Lord, that pride is such a destructive thing in our lives, Lord. And so, Lord, I just ask You right now to infuse passion into those who are passionless. Lord, maybe it's their pride that's holding them back, Lord, from, obtaining, from getting that from You, Lord. And So I just pray that You would speak to them right now. Thank You, Jesus. So if the Lord was speaking to you this morning, 
You know, maybe you lack passion in your life. Maybe there's an issue that the Lord is really, you know, pricking your heart at as I was speaking. I just invite you as we dismiss to come up and receive prayer. If we could have some of our ministry team folks come up. And uh, also, we don't want to leave here this morning without extending an invitation. If you're sick this morning, you know, or if you have a loved one or somebody that's sick, come forward and let the Lord touch that need and, and heal that um, this morning as well. So as we just worship the Lord, I want to extend that invitation to come. And another thing is, if you don't know the Lord this morning, if you're here and you never stepped into or walked with Him, you want those wedding clothes, so to speak, come forward and just say, hey man, I want to know God. We'll be glad to pray with you this morning.